0: You're listening to Oh My God, I'm a Therapist, the podcast for the therapy curious with your host, Dr. Janice Murphy-Rising. As a reminder, the ideas on this podcast are mine and mine alone and not meant to represent all of the therapeutic profession. It's for educational purposes only, and it's not a substitute for medical advice or individualized mental health care. Hello, and welcome to the latest installment of Oh My God, I'm a Therapist. It is September, and you can feel where I live in Washington State, the air is starting to cool a little. I'm really enjoying that because it's been such a hot summer, and from what I understand, still the coolest summer i'm ever going to experience thanks to global warming today i am excited to bring to you one of my favorite topics the enneagram so what is the enneagram is today's title a podcast that i listen to often and have also been on is enneagram and coffee With Sarah Jane Case, I had the opportunity to be interviewed by her last March about being a therapist and using the Enneagram. And so I'm going to put that link to that show in the show notes. If you get a chance to listen to her, she's an author, podcaster. Her um, Instagram is just fantastic. She is an Enneagram type 7. Even if you don't know what that is, that's a good example of somebody that's a type 7 and is using their seven enthusiasm to engage people with something that she loves. So I hope you give her a listen. So the Enneagram, if you've never heard of it, is a, is a map. Um, some people think of it as a personality test. I don't really view it that way, but that's fine if you want to. Of have nine different points, and these points, from my perspective, are the way that people internally locate themselves and also externally go about being in the world. And of course, because we are all one specific type and then the way we interact with other people, it can be a system that really helps us understand not just ourselves, but other people. It can help us with conflict. It can help us understand people's deeper motivations that maybe are behind behaviors that might be confusing. If you're not sure why someone's behaving in a particular way, So I've always been really curious about the Enneagram. I came across it when I was in high school and thought I was one number and then learned much later when I was working on my doctorate that I'm not. And I had the opportunity when I taught at the Evergreen State College to have some fantastic guest speakers come and introduce in a really good way to my students the Enneagram. And it was just very delightful to see people that are starting out in their careers or, you know, maybe coming back to school, but at that level of education to be able to get a positive experience with the system. The system is very old. It is thought to have been as far back as Pythagoras and Plato, and there's some documentation of that. Our integration of it came in the United States in the 1980s, and that was at a time when Psychopathology. I think the DSM 3 was out. There was a lot of self help going on in the culture. And so there was definitely a labeling of the Enneagram that came along. It was also a system that wasn't supposed to be public, it was a spiritual system. And there was actually some legal and other things that came about later on that made it accessible to everybody. The first thing people usually want to know when they approach the Enneagram is, okay, there's nine numbers, which one am I? So the first place that people go to now is usually you go online and you take a test. And what these tests will usually do is give you three options. And oftentimes what happens is people come back and say, oh, I'm a 947. That's a theory, but that's not what those tests are meant to do. They're meant to narrow down for you the three that you should look at to see which one you are. That's probably the easiest way to go about learning what your Enneagram type is. I just don't recommend it, though. But it's mostly what people do, so I'm not going to talk people out of their behavior. But my analogy with the Enneagram is that that's sort of the getting a, um, a sample at Costco, which is fine. I love getting samples at Costco, especially if they're cheese or crackers or chocolate. And, you know, getting a sample at Costco is, of like, let's say, lemon meringue pie is different from actually making the pie from scratch, um, serving it and explaining to somebody how you made it. And when you really walk and talk the language of the Enneagram, um, in addition to being a map, I think it's a language that you, you learn over time. And the more you learn it, the more you can apply it to a lot of different things. It's just a very different experience. And I think people want the sample, and they want to be able to say, okay, I tried that. But it's it's not really the whole system. So I'm going to just give you a very brief rundown of the different types, beginning with type 1. Type 1 is the idealist, because that's what my teacher, Dale Rhodes, taught me to use. Type 1s are very active. They have a sense of being on the go all the time i think even when they're sitting still they're still moving and having activity in a lot of ways ones are ones are concerned with being good and being right and that rightness oftentimes comes from having some kind of moral compass Very often, this is one that's, you know, I think of like a religious zealot as being a type one, but even somebody that is an atheist can be a type one. They just have a sense of right and wrong and what they're supposed to do and not supposed to do. One of the reasons that they have this sense of being right is because they want to be seen as worthy. They fear that if they are not finding the right way or the moral highway so to speak, that they won't be seen as being good in the eyes of other people. And so ones are always looking for being told that they're worth they're worthwhile, that they're good, that they do good. Um, and over time, as ones develop and grow, they start to relax a little, and they can have some fun, and they can be creative. Type twos are oftentimes called the helpers. And twos are interested in what you're interested in, meaning they really want to be the expert at understanding and relating to you. They like relationships. They want to know what's good for you. They want to help you. They want to be needed. They take a lot of pride in how they help other people. I think it's good to have a healthy two in your life always, um, they're the person that's going to ask you if you need anything. And maybe they might even have ask, they might just show up um, when you're sick with some chicken noodle soup, which is lovely. What they really want is to be wanted. And so when they share with you what it is that they know about you and how they care about you, they're, they're really sharing their love. And as twos learn to be healthier, they also extend that love that they give to others, um, to themselves. Type three is, I call it the star or the performer. Type threes are, I think, very valued in this culture. Type threes really want to be seen as someone that is successful. They want to be loved for, well, they don't, at at their core, they want to be loved for who they are. But the way that that shows up in their lives is they do things in order to find love. This type is actually a heart-centered type which is confusing to some people at times because they lead with their desire to be seen as successful, their desire to be seen in the world as good at their job. What helps me identify a three is knowing that they're they're devoted to the role because they're hoping someone will um not just tell them good job but really really love and care for them. And as threes grow and get healthier in themselves, they start to see that they are worth love without having to do anything to achieve it. Type 4s are called the romantic. Fours are one of the intensity types and they're intense in terms of their feelings. They're very creative, they're very deep. They like to be seen as being unique and they have a tendency to feel as though other people have something that they haven't gotten a hold of in themselves. They can oftentimes feel overlooked and at their core, they want to be seen for who they are as someone that's unique and truly validated. Full disclosure, type fours are some of my favorite people. I oftentimes, every time I learn the Enneagram every year, I'm always like, oh, am I that type? And every time we get to the four, I'm like, oh, they are so wonderful. It might have to do with the fact that I'm a therapist because type fours are, I think, drawn to being therapists often. And it I think really benefit from therapy because they are... Oftentimes, the type that gets told growing up that they are dramatic or they make too much of things and coming to therapy, they're going to get validated for all of that. And, you know, once they're validated, a lot of those fears about other of lacking something calms down. Type five, I call the observer. Fives are what are called the head types. And they really want to be the person that has the facts, all of the facts that are the most knowledgeable about the facts that they are the most interested in. A lot of fives, if you have a five in your life, they probably are very wise. They might not say anything until they have all that information. when they have the information, they're usually very accurate, sometimes scarily so. They wish that their needs were not a problem. That I think that fives are the type that wish that they could just lived in the, in the land of facts and could think look at things logically. And I've seen this with fives where that gets them in trouble, where they do try to just apply data or facts to things. And um, they forget that maybe the person in front of them isn't looking for that information. Maybe they're looking for connection. And I think that's a good reminder for all of us is when we're asked our opinion about things to ask, do you want the facts or do you want me to just listen to you right now it's it's a good it's a good life skill the other thing about fives that I really enjoy is uh, I see them as types that really have like their own hiding place in the world meaning they have like a a book nook or a, a castle or just somewhere even if it's just in their mind when I watched the queen's gambit I really thought the main character was a type five so that's a good example of type five in the world type six is called the loyal skeptic and loyal skeptics are also a fear type or not if they are a fear type, um, they're a head type. So eight, there's two, three, and four are heart types, five, six, and seven are head types. And then the last three are body types. And so that just really means that that's sort of where their center of attention goes to the most. And so type six, most of all, wants to be certain. They want consistency. Like their name suggests, they can be really loyal to things. They can also be very skeptical about things, which can seem like a conundrum. But as you get to know sixes, they're actually very warm. They want to be supported. They want to hear that they're safe, that they're secure. Like twos, they can be delightful to be around because they're also the type that might bring you chicken soup if if you're not feeling well, if you're in their circle. If you're not in their circle, they'll probably just tell you to order takeout. Type sevens are... Called a lot of different things. I'm going to call them the enthusiast. Type sevens are also a head type. Type sevens, I think, are also harder to pin down because on the surface, they seem like they're the person that wants to take you out for sushi, they want to show you a good time, they know the best ice cream, they are very positive types. And I think that gets written off because underneath that surface, there's usually someone that's thinking very deeply about things. The thing that is the mark of a type 7 is that they are there to avoid pain. And the fun, not always, but oftentimes, especially if they're... Um, not in a pl- pattern of growth at the time, can be a way to actively avoid something that's that's harming them or hurting them. That is one of their fears is they don't want to be trapped or they don't want to be missing out because especially about, especially if they're missing out because of emotional pain. So fear of missing out is something I think of with type sevens. And what they really want to hear at the end of the day is that they're going to be taken care of. They're not going to just be in pain all the time. Type sevens Also, all the types are delightful, but sevens are very delightful to be around. The type eight is called the protector or the challenger. Eights oftentimes know as soon as they hear their number that they're an eight. They like to be in charge. They don't want to be taken advantage of. They come across as being very strong. They don't have any problem telling you what they think about things or where they stand on things. In fact, they actually appreciate this when other people tell them where they're at. They also don't want to be betrayed. And so eights can be a type that comes on pretty strong. What I notice about eights is that underneath that protective layer, there's usually a very gentle, loving Sensitive person that you know really just needs someone to give them permission to be um, secure, which kind of makes them seem like they're a type six because they're they're both pretty intense types. The difference is that sixes are afraid underneath everything, and eights just literally have no fear. They're I think the ones that are going to run out in battle um, when there's a battle, and I think of them as also being the advocate and being really good advocates for other people, and that's another piece that's important to remember about type 8s, is that they will root for the underdog, they will advocate for other people, and when they get into a place of growth, what they will also do is recognize that they are worthy of the advocacy that they give others as well. And at the very top of the Enneagram, the final number is type 9, and type 9 is called um, the the mediator, the peacemaker. Nines, they can look down at the other numbers and see everybody's perspective. They're really good listeners. They're really good at empathizing with other people. And their downfall is that they can empathize and understand to the point that they forget themselves. They are the one type of all the types that can with what's called narcotize or put themselves to sleep and so part of being in relationship with a nine or if you are a nine is remembering that your presence matters, that you are significant and that your desire to be at peace with everything on the surface isn't a bad thing but if it's if it's something that is not allowing you to have peace, that's where the area of growth is, is remembering that peace above everything isn't the goal. Peace is, peace is something that you, you are able to obtain pretty quickly because you can see other people's perspectives, but remembering your own perspective and being around people that remember your perspective and help you remember it is really important. Much like the twos, very delightful to be around. I see I'm showing my bias. I'm sorry about that. That's just, that's what happens is you start to get to know the numbers and you you will initially have a, you'll go through all the numbers and you'll be like, I like that person. I don't like that person because you'll start to see examples of them. But having studied Enneagram for almost a decade now, I can tell you that there's wonderful attributes for all of these. I think we need all the types. And so whatever your type is, is is wonderful. Another, another piece, so now that I've gone through all the types, just something to keep in mind is it's very easy to mistype, which is why I don't recommend a test. I recommend finding someone that can actually type you um so somebody that's actually a an enneagram instructor like myself or you know I'm happy to refer you to people if that's something you're interested in or taking a class on it is really helpful and so here's my shameless plug this month I am going to be teaching a 6 hour continuing education class for therapists and people like therapists called enneagram informed counseling so one of the things I found once I started bringing the Enneagram to my counseling practice is that it really helped me very quickly get a sense of the deeper motivations of my clients. So clients come in and they often have a presenting problem, something that they want to work on. And as I get to know them, when I can start to get a sense of what I think their Enneagram number is, that can help me move in a direction with them of helping them grow a lot quicker. My own Enneagram teacher, Dale Rhodes, actually said to me once. I don't know why counselors don't all know the Enneagram. It's, it's sort of like being given a map for people. And I agree with that. I think that's a statement that a lot of times parents make or partners make you know, in significant relationships is, you know, I wish... I wish my kid or my partner came with an instruction manual, manual. And well, guess what? If you really understand the Enneagram, you have a system that helps you really understand yourself and how you interact with the other person. So it is essentially an instruction manual of you and the other, other person. And there's so many ways that you can apply the Enneagram to things that are really delightful. There's a lot of memes on social media that are just just very fun. People that study the Enneagram, they, they sort of love to like poke fun at themselves in, in a nice way, not a, not in a mean way. Um, it's 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 nice to be at that point where you don't you don't take it too seriously, but you do see it as something that's a that's a very valuable, valuable and useful system. The class I'm teaching this month, it's online. It's for counseling types. And if it's something that you're interested in infusing into your therapy practice as a therapist, I highly encourage you to visit the link that I'm going to put in the show notes. And if you miss it, that's fine because there you can reach out to me or to Cascadia because they're going to do a move it into an online course sometime in the next year. I also teach annually, try to do it annually. I missed it last year, but I, I teach an introduction to the Enneagram online and I'm going to do that beginning March sixth, in 2023. And so if that's something you're interested in, you are are welcome to reach out to me. And if you're like, yeah, that's nice. I'm, I'm actually more of a, you know, study on your own kind of person. The book, The Essential Enneagram is a wonderful starting point. I've actually, and now you're going to know something about me that maybe you didn't want to know, broken this out at parties <laughs> to help people understand their type, which is like the best kind of party for me is somebody that wants to like take a qualitative test and, you know, puzzle over whether or not they're a type two or a type four. A final note, just to take away about the Enneagram is that you will know that you've landed on your number because it will feel like a huge relief and also a huge grief because there's something to finally knowing your number that just gives you permission to be who you are. And especially if you learn it, I think after you've dealt with some significant things in your life. is sort of like, oh gosh, why didn't I know this before? It would have made it so much easier if I'd known this about me or if I'd known this about my parents or I'd known this about my partner. I think you can start to see people's Enneagram types really early. I think it is a combination of nature and nurture. And I talk about that more in depth on um, Sarah Jane's show. So you can go to the show notes to listen to that one. I won't go into depth with it here. That to me is probably the nicest thing about it is that it's not based on one particular thing it's it's a map. I actually see it like a living system, like a nervous system. A lot of what I think about just in therapy in general is that that's what the decade of the brain has proven is that my nervous system, for better or worse, is going to impact your nervous system if i'm well regulated and i'm breathing and i'm really connected and, and oriented to the present moment, I am going to hopefully very positively impact somebody else's nervous system in a good way. That's what I think about it as, is it's like a living system. It's a map. It's very useful and helpful. It's really helped me. But if you're feeling skeptical, if it doesn't feel like it's right for you, I would say that's fine. There's plenty of other systems that you can use. This is just the one that feels like like the best fit for me. It's definitely not a science Um, by any means. It was a spiritual system for many millennia until it was brought here and introduced to the psychology systems. And so I don't think it's meant to be, it is being researched in a lot of ways, you know, analyzed in that sense. But I don't, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about that. It's like, if something works, I don't really need to question it. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please follow me where you listen to podcasts. I'm an independent podcast. And so any any word of mouth that you give, I'm, I'm really grateful for. Take care of you and yours.